God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Hey, good morning, Cross United. I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. I want to encourage you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 14, 5 through 7. We're going to be looking at the story of Thomas this morning. While you're doing that, I want to remind you, you can go to crossunited.org. There are two spots there on the top menu bar where you can click. The first is our online connection card. If you have never connected with our church, maybe other than online, you can fill out that connection card with as much information as you feel comfortable sharing with us. And we would love to get to know you a little bit better and for you to be able to get to know us a little bit better. There's also a, a spot there where you can fill out any prayer requests or needs you may have. So that's there at crossunited.org. Also at crossunited.org on the top right-hand side of the menu bar is the giving tab. That will take you to our secure online giving platform. If you consider Cross United your church home or you just consider yourself a generous person, I encourage you to give. We are a new church that is supported by many churches and people throughout the state, throughout the country who are supporting us financially. But as we grow and as we mature, we need to become self supporting so thank you for partnering with us in that also i want to remind you you can get plugged in in any number of ways we have a setup team for in-person worship on sunday mornings we have a music team if you're interested in that and you have the the gifts that god has given you we are restarting our cross united kids ministries um, we are uh, doing bible studies for men and women all throughout the year we're going to be partnering with the local elementary school norcrest elementary to do a book drive and so uh, be on the lookout for more information about that and we are doing an easter outreach we are going to be providing everyone in our church who wants one with a yard sign to put in your yard to spark conversations to be able to invite people to church on Easter Sunday, on Sunday, April 4th. So I want to encourage you to uh, to pick up a yard sign starting next week at, at church, or if we can drop one off at your house if you if you don't uh, want, to, want to have to come pick it up. But uh, we are going to be doing that. I encourage you to reach out uh, to your neighbors uh, around you. All right, uh, like I said, we're going to be in John 14 this morning. When I, when I was in college, I uh, entered a class called English 1C, which was supposed to be the critical thinking class. And as I, I walked in, magazines, the, 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 the classroom had white marker boards, whiteboards lining the walls front and on the sides. And all in the, the trays of the marker boards, there were issues of magazines, specifically one magazine called Skeptic magazine. 
Um, and I was familiar with the reputation of this magazine. I'd never read this magazine. It was started by a man named Michael Shermer in the 90s. And, and Michael Shermer ha had an interesting story. When he was in high school, he became a Christian, a, a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And he actually studied theology and, and was maybe going to be in ministry. He was an evangelist. He was passionate for Christ. Then he took a, a program in a, in a master's degree program in, in a experimental psychology. And he began to have questions uh, come into his life and through conversations with his professors that he wasn't sure what the answer was. And then the, the, the thing that finally was the deciding factor for him was not a straw that broke the camel's back, but was a tragic car accident that uh, broke the back of the girl he loved, his college sweetheart named Maureen. And she was paralyzed from the waist down. And, uh, and he prayed and, and pleaded with God to heal her, and God did not heal her. And so he concluded, he concluded that God could not be real. And he abandoned his Christian faith and committed himself now for decades to combating what he calls pseudoscience, superstition, and other weird beliefs to encourage people to be skeptical. And my professor in that English class wanted to cultivate that kind of a mindset in our minds and in our hearts to, to pass on this skeptical perspective, to question things and not accept beliefs we could not verify and test and touch. Well, this is actually a very common mindset in our culture. There may be an extreme example of it in, in the case of Skeptic Magazine, but we value tangible, visible proof and results. We value the practical and we want proof that it works. We want to know that what we've purchased will accomplish what it promised or we will get our, we'll get our money back within 30 days. We, we, have an entire industry of publishing and master classes dedicated to teaching us how to do this or that. We could look up YouTube videos. I, I had recently to, to fix a part in my car and I found a YouTube video and I was able to replace this part. It would have been hundreds of dollars at the dealer and I was able to buy the part for $13 on Amazon and replace it myself. And, and so we are, we are, just just wired and, 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 and tuned to this idea that we can find seven steps to fix things and we can find proof, tangible, touchable proof for things. We value practicality and we value a measure of skepticism. We, in other words, are a lot like Jesus' disciple, Thomas. We're in this mini-series as part of our study in John called Best Supporting Actors. And we're looking at some of the followers of Jesus who have conversations with Jesus on the last night where he's with them before he goes to the cross. And we see him having conversations with Peter, the, the, the 
brash and bold leader of the disciples. We, we're going to see next time the, the, the conversation he has with Philip, uh, the brother of Andrew and friends with Peter from their hometown. This week, we're going to see his conversation with Thomas. Uh, if you remember, we're, we're, we're in a section of the book of John in ch- chapter 13 and, and beyond where Jesus the story slows down and focuses in on Jesus's last night with his disciples, where he shows them his heart by washing their feet. This radical um, un- act of service that was was unthinkable in the, in the ancient world. There's no record of anyone doing this for someone who would have been considered an inferior to them, a teacher for a student, a master for a servant, except for the story of Jesus. He washes their feet. So he shows them his heart in action. And now he's telling them his heart in words about the glory of God in, in John 13, 31 and 32, and about the, the passionate love they must have for one another as Christ has loved them in John 13, 34 and 35. And in between, he says in John 13, 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I am going, you cannot come. So he's preparing them. He's he's preparing them for his departure. Like when, when my wife and I are going on a date night and we're leaving the kids with, with their grandparents or their aunt and uncle or whatever, we will prepare them and we'll, we'll make sure they're ready. He's preparing them for his crucifixion, his burial and resurrection, and then ultimately his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And as he says this, his friends, his followers, his disciples ask him, a number of questions. Peter asks him a couple of questions. He goes, Peter asks him, why? Why can't I follow you? Where are you going? Why can't I follow you? And, and Peter thinks it's a problem of courage and moral courage that, that you know, th- that there was a constant danger that Jesus was threatened with as, as the, the people, the, the leaders in, in religious life and, and in, in political life were threatened by him. And, and, and Peter was like, no, no, I'm not afraid. And Jesus sets Peter straight. And he says, you think you're going to die for me? You're going to deny that you even know me. Thomas enters the picture. Unlike Peter, um, we don't know much about Thomas. We know a lot about Peter throughout the Gospels. We don't know much about Thomas till we get to this part of the scripture. We, we see um, in John eleven sixteen 16, when Jesus's friend Lazarus has died, um, Thomas called twin said to his fellow disciples, let's go to that we may die with him. Um, so, so like Peter, Thomas talks a big game. He's full of bravado. He, he, he has this seeming commitment to Christ, willing to die for Christ. But we're going to see Thomas, like Peter, get exposed. Peter thinks it's a moral courage problem or, a, or a, you know, where are you going? Why can't we go with you? I'm willing to die for you. Thomas, though, Thomas thinks it's a practical problem. Thomas thinks it's a practical problem. Thomas plays the role of the skeptic. If they only knew the way, they would follow. Thomas is a practical skeptic. In other words, Thomas is a lot like us. 
Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas is like us. He's practical. He's skeptical. He wants tangible proof and practical steps. He wants to know how to get where Jesus is going. He's a scientific method kind of person. We know Thomas's characteristic skepticism remains consistent in the story of John, where he gets his infamous name, Doubting Thomas. In John 20, we see Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will never believe. Thomas is a skeptic. Thomas is practical. If I can touch it, if I can see it and prove it, I will believe it. But unless I can, I will never believe. Show me the money. Show me the proof. Show me that this is real. He's a practical man and a skeptical man. In other words, he seems like he would have made a pretty decent 21st century Western American man. And here Jesus answers his question with one of the most profound statements in all of scripture where we see that Jesus reveals to Thomas and explains to Thomas that he is the wide open, narrow way. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see the significance of these two words, I am. They point back to the encounter that Moses had with Yahweh the Lord in Exodus 3 in the bush that was burning without being consumed, where the Lord Yahweh revealed himself and his name and his character and his nature to Moses. He sends Moses to, to, to save his people from bondage in Egypt. And Moses says, what should I, who should I say is sending me? And the Lord says, I am who I am. And Jesus, a number of times in the Gospel of John, most clearly in John 8, 58, claims the divine name, the unique divine name for himself. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He claims to be Yahweh before them in human nature. There are also seven times in the book of John where Jesus uses the words I am with a metaphorical word picture for what he is like and who he is. I am the bread of life. I am the, the light of the world. Here is the sixth of seventh of those. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, he says. A, a course of travel or a route taken in order to reach a place. He is the way. The way. The only way. There are many 
places in this world where you can only get there by one route. If you want to drive to the Keys, if you want to drive to Key West, you have one option. If you want to take a boat, you can take another way if you want to fly. But if you want to drive, you have one option. If you want to go into the Magic Kingdom at Disney World, you have one option. You may park in the parking lot and take a ferry across the Seven Seas Lagoon. You may take the monorail to the ticketing center. You may take a bus to the front. But all of those places funnel you to the same spot, the front gate. There is only one way. We see this all of the time. In, in, in life and in the world that God has made, there is one way to God. And that is the way of the one who was born of Mary the Virgin, very God of very God, begotten, not made, the same nature with the Father according to his deity, and of his same nature with us according to his humanity, Jesus Christ, God the Son in human nature. He is the only way. One of our theme verses as a church is John 10.10. 10. John 10, 7 starts the context. It says, Jesus said again, I t truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Some might object that he is the only way, but the real amazing thing is that there is any way. Second, he says, I am the truth. Truth is what conforms to reality without falsehood. God is truth in his nature. Lots of people these days speak about their truth. They speak about what they mean by that is what they think, what they feel, or what they've experienced. And let's just be clear. People's feelings, people's opinions, and people's experiences are important and valid. But they are not the same as truth. They are not the same as objective reality. You can have a feeling that is wrong. You can have an opinion that is wrong. You can have an experience that you misinterpret. I'm a huge San Francisco Giants baseball fan, but if I were to tell you that my truth is that they are the best team in the National League West, I would be wrong because the two best teams in baseball, the Dodgers and the Padres, are in the division with them. Now, my truth might be that the Giants are the best team, but objective truth is that they are not the best team, at least from what we can tell right now, given the current evidence. Your truth is not necessarily the truth. You might have opinions, preferences, and feelings about what is the most important thing. You might be passionately committed and convinced of those things, but you can be passionately and committedly wrong. Jesus is the truth.
He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Real, genuine life. John 5, 26 says, as the Father has life in himself, so he has given the Son to have life in himself. John 1, 4, in, the, in him, in the word, was life. Jesus is life. He has life and he offers life. We're so enamored with the stuff we can do. The other night, Laura and I, my wife, we were watching, we got caught, <laughs> turned on the TV and there was an infomercial for a new robot vacuum. Now we have one, a Roomba, that, you know, it's like a low-end one. It does a good job, but it doesn't have all of the bells and the whistles in this one. This was a different brand. was showing how much more suction power it has and how it has, you know, this this system where it'll self-empty and, and, and it won't get, like, get hair stuck on the brush roll and all, all of these things. And we were just, whoa, we might need to get that. We're so amazed that we have robot vacuums that will clean our house. We're so amazed that we can ask our phone what the capital of Ireland is and we have an instantaneous answer. We're so astounded by our own accomplishments that we take for granted the miraculous nature of life around us, that when we cut our finger, we put a Band-Aid on it and it heals. It's like magic. It's not magic. It's the way God put life into the world and designed our bodies to work. There's life everywhere around us, a world teeming with life, though broken by sin and death. Jesus says that God designed us for life. He designed the world for life. And though people have turned away from life and turned away from God, that if we will turn to him away from our sin, away from ourself, in what he has done for us, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he will forgive us our sin and he will give us eternal life. Eternal life is a quality of life and a quantity of life. It is a length of life and, and an unending length of life, but it is also a quality of life that cannot be corrupted, assaulted, or stolen. Our church exists to help people find life like God intended. To help you find life like God intended. And that life is found in Christ, who is the life. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. One of my favorite ways to describe this is to, to, to say... This is a little bit like walking into a Cracker Barrel. When you walk into a Cracker Barrel, in the front foyer, there's a sign that says something like this. Cracker Barrel will not tolerate discrimination, harassment, or retaliation affecting its employees or applicants due to race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, national origin, age, marital status, medical condition, disability, genetic information, or any other class expressly protected under the law. But here is the thing. The sign is in the foyer of the only entrance they let you walk into Cracker Barrel through. Every inclusive way has its exclusivities. Cracker Barrel puts this inclusivity, inclusivity policy 
in the foyer of their exclusive entrance. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me, it's similar because it's an inclusive call and it's an exclusive call. It's exclusive, meaning no one comes to the Father but through me. Not a rich one, not a poor one, not a middle-aged one. Not a black one, not a white one, not a brown one. Not an old one, not a young one, not a middle-aged one. Not a Republican one, not a Democratic one, not an independent one. Not a male one, not a female one. Not a church-going one, not an unchurched one. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that except is all the difference in the world. Because while no one comes to the Father except through him, anyone can come to the Father through him. Anyone. An old one. A young one or a middle-aged one, a black one, a white one or a brown one, a Republican one, a Democratic one, an independent one, a rich one, a poor one, a middle-income one, a male one, a female one, a churched one, an unchurched one, anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ can access the Father. This is truly amazing that God offers the way to anyone who will follow Jesus in repentance and faith. And Jesus says that he and the Father, to come to Jesus is to come to the Father. That if you want the Father, you've got to go through Jesus. He, he says that all throughout that, that anyone who doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. That if you knew Jesus, you would know the Father. That the Father and the Son are distinct persons but one God. Anyone who comes to the Father must go through Jesus. And no one can go to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus blows Thomas's mind here, I would imagine. Uh, but we know... We've seen Thomas doesn't quite get it. But something changes in Thomas. Thomas changes later in the story from a practical step skeptic to a missionary evangelist. We saw already verses 24 and 25 of chapter 20. But Thomas called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of his nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet believe. Jesus meets Thomas at his point of skepticism, at his point of doubt, and his point of practicality, and calls his bluff and says, Check me out. Touch my side. Touch my wounds. Jesus can handle. He can handle any question you have. He can have any doubt that creeps into your mind. He can handle any sin that you've sinned. He can handle whatever it is that you've got. Try your best. Notice that Thomas doesn't even have to take Jesus up on his offer. One of my favorite paintings is the, the Incredulity of St. Thomas by the, the painter Caravaggio. And, and it shows Thomas touching Jesus' side, but that's actually not what happens in the text. He simply sees Jesus and confesses the ultimate confession of faith, my Lord and my God. And it changed Thomas forever. And Thomas the practical skeptic became Thomas the missionary evangelist. And church, uh, the, the early church uh, accounts say that Thomas spent the rest of his life as a missionary and actually went to southwestern India where he spent decades telling people about Jesus, planting churches, and sharing the gospel before he was martyred for leading the emperor's wife to Christ 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. And now there are 6 million Christians in India and Dubai and all around the world who claim the name of Christ and call themselves Saint Thomas Christians. Michael Shermer was a, an evangelist turned skeptic, but an encounter with Jesus turned Thomas from the practical skeptic into a missionary evangelist. So imagine what he could do with you. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.